Amen. And I want each one of you this morning to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning as we've already seen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We uh, saw the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul talk about the day of the Lord that is going to come. And as he talked about the day of the Lord, uh, he talked about those that it's going to come upon like a thief in the night. But those who are saved, uh, he was basically telling them that they have nothing nothing to worry about, that uh, uh, they already know that the day of the Lord is going to come. They themselves know this. They, they know full well that the day of the Lord is going to come. Why? Because they're not children of the night. They're not children of the darkness, but they are children of the light. Amen. And so that's what we talked about last week, being children of the light. And so as we recognize the fact that we are children of the light, we understand that we're children of the light, and as children of the light, we have certain responsibilities as children of the light. And we need to understand as children of the light, uh, we walk in the light, we're able to see, we're able to understand, we're able to discern. We have the truth of the Word of God that we can read and study and understand and know as children of the light. We have the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us that teaches us the truths of the Word of God and opens up our eyes and illuminates. And it's all because... We're walking in the light, and who is the light? Jesus is the light, and we're walking in Him. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we truly are children of the light, and we are in the light. It, it is, so as we understand that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if we're having fellowship with Him, if we're walking with Him, we are walking in the light. And so as we're walking in the light, something that we need to understand, uh, we ought to be able to see, right? We ought to be able to know. We ought to be able to understand. Do we still know all things? No, we still don't know when the day of the Lord is going to come because God has not revealed that to us as of yet. We, we, we still don't know exactly when that day and hour is going to take place, but it's not going to catch us off guard uh, because that day is not for us. That day is for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So everything God wants us to know and us to understand, He has given us those He's revealed those truths to us, and so therefore, what do we do? We walk in those truths, and so we come here to First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, beginning in verse four, and it says right here: "It says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of the light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So we're sons of the light. We're sons of the day. We're not." sons of darkness. And when we begin to think about that, here it is, and as we live in the light, as we walk in the light, as we fellowship in the light with God, we begin to understand that we, we, we're, we're given clear vision of things that are to take place. But then the Apostle Paul then kind of shifts gears a little bit and kind of gives them a warning. And gives them two commands of things that we need to be doing as children of the light. And he says them here in verse 6. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but be alert as to be sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. 
But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, and love is the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. And so when we look at this text of Scripture, we find that here it is that he said, you know, we're children of the light, we're sons of the light. Uh, Those who are in the darkness, uh, they they do all their dark deeds, they do them all at night, right? Uh, Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Those who sleep, sleep at night. But we're not children of the light, so we're not our children of the darkness, rather. So we don't participate in that. Uh, We're children of the light. And so as children of the light, uh, and being able to see and having things illumined to us and being able to have that discernment and that knowledge, he then gives to us two warnings. And the first warning, he says, is to stay awake, right? To stay alert, because it doesn't matter how much light you have around you. If you're asleep, that light's not doing you any good. Amen? And then he also says, be sober. So these two warnings, these two commands, if you will, that that here it is, is the Word of God is giving to those who are Christians, those who are truly born again, born again believers in Jesus Christ. He's telling us to stay awake, and He's telling us to stay sober. And so that word sober, you know, when we begin to think about it, certainly the Word of God uh, warns us against being a drunkard, right? And so uh, the Bible has very strong language, very strong warning about being drunk flat out commands us not to be drunk and so when we think about that and understand well what, what what is the danger of being drunk well there's all kinds of dangers in being drunk when you're drunk your mind is not operating your brain is not operating in fact your hands and your feet and your entire being is not operating as it ought to be what's one of the uh, bad things about driving drunk well you can't uh, you can't react to things as quickly as you normally would be able to react to things you're 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 fine Function has slowed down and so therefore you're putting yourself at great danger and you're putting other people at great danger and so the word of God very clearly warns against drunkenness but here this is not talking about a physical drunkenness whereas you're drinking wine, you're drinking alcohol or you're consuming uh, in toxins that, that will intoxicate your body and I believe that, that that goes across all realms of drugs or anything that is going to intoxicate you to where it makes your mind dull and where it makes your body not be able to respond and react as it normally would under normal circumstances but this is a spiritual sobriety in which he's talking about and so basically what he's saying right here is don't be dull in mind and don't let your body be slow to react but be alert right be alert be alert of what's going on around you. Be alert to your surrounding, and especially be alert to the spiritual environment in which you are living in. You are sons of the light. You're daughters of the light. You're not sons and daughters of the night. You don't get drunk at night as uh, sons and daughters of the night. You don't sleep at night as sons and daughters of the light. Here it is that you are living in the light, so stay awake and be sober is the command of the Word of God. And so as we look at the Word of God here uh, and what we begin to see there again in verse 
7, he says, or verse 6, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. So when he's talking about sleeping right here, being, you know, this spiritual slumber, if you will, and we, and we begin to recognize the dangers of spiritual slumber, the spiritual sleep that, that we uh, can get ourselves in or we're taking cat naps through the day, if, if you will. There it is that every Christian needs to be warned against this. Amen? Of these spiritual cat naps that we take within, within our, our, our Christian walk, within our Christian life, where we're not being awake, we're not being alert, we're not paying attention to what's going on around us, and we understand that there is grave danger. You know, falling asleep behind the wheel will kill you just as well as a drunken driver will kill you. Amen? Matter, matter of fact, I've got a first cousin. He's right around my age. At the age of 18 years old, he was driving down Highway 53 coming home from Gulfport, and he fell asleep behind the wheel, and it killed him. He wasn't drunk. He didn't get hit by a drunk driver. He fell asleep behind the wheel. Been working all day. He was exhausted. He was wore out. Ended up falling asleep behind the wheel and it killed him. Friends, there can be grave dangers with Christians if we're falling asleep behind the wheel. There can be grave dangers for churches if we're falling asleep behind the wheel. There's grave danger in Christianity if we're falling asleep behind the wheel and we need to stay awake. Here it is. We find in Revelation chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in Asia and as he's speaking to the seven churches in Asia he has a word to say to all of the seven churches in Asia and here in chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 he has a very specific word to say to the church of Sardis and I want you to understand Jesus had not one good thing to say to the church of Sardis not a single good thing did he have to say to the church of Sardis. He didn't have anything to say good to the church of Laodicea either, which is the apostate church. But here it is, the church of Sardis. What did he tell them that they were? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. Now this is something that every single one of us need to recognize. Jesus knows our deeds. Amen? He said, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Now, recognize some people get messed up when they begin looking at this and they begin thinking of individuals personally and they say, oh, well, they must have lost their salvation. Remember, Jesus is talking to the church right here. Right? To the church of Sardis. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to the church of Sardis. And he tells them, you have a name. Or you have a reputation. You have a reputation that you are alive. In other words, everybody is looking at you and saying, hey, that's an alive church. That's an alive church. They're a thriving church. I mean, they have it going on down there. They might have big crowds. They, they might have a big budget. They might have a big uh, building. They might have everything that is wonderful. And from the outside, everything looks absolutely great. And they have a name or a reputation that they are alive, but Jesus said you're not alive. Jesus said you're dead. Not, not asleep, but dead. He said you're dead. 
Now, fortunately, Jesus began to tell them that they still had hope. They, they still had hope of coming back to life. But now he's speaking to the individual members of the church in verse 2. He tells them, this is the remedy of this. This is what you need to do. The very first thing that you need to do, he says in verse 2, he says, wake up. You need to wake up. Far too many Christians have fallen asleep behind the wheel and they're kind of, uh, you know, on, on automatic pilot and they're just kind of floating along down the road. Too many churches have fallen asleep behind the wheel and they're on autopilot and they're just kind of floating along the stream, letting the stream take them to wherever it will. Or sooner or later that stream's going to take them to some rocks and they're going to hit those rocks and the ship's going to sink. Amen? That's a dangerous place to be in. And so as we look at that dangerous place to be in, Cindy sent me a, 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 a video about a, a, a man that was in an airplane and he was in the clouds and he couldn't see. And so there he is, he's on autopilot kind of floating along the skies, but he didn't realize there was a mountain in front of him. And if he continued on that path, he's going to hit it and he's going to die. Amen? So we need to be awake. And we need to be alert. Now some of you have a King James Bible and the King James it says be watchful in verse 2 right there. This translation, New American Standard Bible says wake up. So well, one of them must be wrong. No, what it really says in the original language is wake up and be watchful. <laughs> Amen? Wake up and be watchful. Wake up and be alert. Wake up and pay attention to what's going on around you. Now the city of Sardis, they would have understood this. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about because the city of Sardis, they set up an elevation of about 1,500 feet and they were built upon a, a plateau and on one side of that plateau or two sides of that plateau rather was a mountain range, a very steep and rigid mountain range that was impenetrable. It was, it was impossible to get over those two sides of that mountain range and so the enemy couldn't come from that side and then on the other side that third side they had uh, the sea out there so it was nothing but sea out there and, and then the, the cliffs that came down from over there so it was impossible to come up those cliffs so they were safe from all three of those sides but sitting on that plateau if you will 1500 feet in front of them it was the plains on that fourth side and you could see for miles and miles and miles out there in that plane so all they had to do was put some watchmen up there at the edge of the city and watch and they could see for miles if the enemy's coming so that they could be warned and let their army get well prepared long before they ever get there so they would consider it to be a city that could not be defeated but they were defeated twice in their history why because the watchmen fell asleep the watchmen fell asleep. And we're falling asleep on the job. We're in spiritual decline. We're in spiritual decay. And we're kind of on autopilot, just kind of cruising along, thinking everything's going to be okay, not realizing that we're about to hit a mountain or we're about to hit some rocks. And this ship is about to sink or this plane is about to crash. Whether it be you personally, whether it be your family, whether it be your church, whatever it be, 
We need to be awake and we need to be alert and we need to recognize that there is an enemy out there and he does want to destroy us. He wants to ruin us. He wants, us to, he wants to wipe us off the map. And we need not ever forget those truths. So we need to be awake. And as Brother Keith said, you know, we've got heaven's gates and hell's flames coming and we've got these activities that are taking place weekly within the church. And friends, there's nothing greater that he wants to do than throw a monkey wrench in that. Amen? He wants to throw a monkey wrench in that and absolutely shut it down. So stay awake. He also tells us to stay sober. And so as we stay sober, we look in the Word of God at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we see the, not only the warning to stay sober, but we see the reasoning of staying sober. Again, this is spiritual sobriety. Certainly we want to have a physical sobriety, but we want to have a spiritual sobriety where we are awake, we are alert, we are aware of our circumstances, we're aware of the things that are going on going on around us it says there be of sober spirit be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so be sober and be alert he's saying right there be sober and be awake be sober and awake why because the devil the adversary he's roaming around like a, like a lion, and he's seeking somebody to devour. Oh, look, they're taking a cat nap. I'm going to come after them. Oh, look, they're not sober. They're not aware of their environment. They're not aware of their surrounding. I'm going to pounce. I have a nephew that a few years ago was walking down the streets of New Orleans. He's walking down the streets of New Orleans. Somebody came, punched his girlfriend in the face, came out of an alley, punched his girlfriend in the face, and ran back in the alley. He's about to run in there after him. Luckily, there was a man that was working in the hotel. He said, don't you go down that alley. Why? Because there's more in there waiting on you. They want you to come in there. He wasn't aware of his surroundings. He didn't know that at the end of that dark alley, he didn't know what was there waiting on him. He was on the phone with his dad when it happened. His dad told him, don't you go down that alley. Somebody's waiting down there, waiting for you not to be paying attention, waiting for that opportunity so that they can pounce. Friends, the devil's the same way. Amen. The devil's the exact same way, and so as we begin to recognize and understand that here it is, he's just waiting for that moment that you're not being sober. He's waiting for that moment to where you're not being aware. He's waiting for that moment to where he can jump on you and pounce up on you in a heartbeat to where he could destroy you, to where he could destroy your family, to where he can destroy your church, to where ultimately if he takes you and your family and your church out of the way, he has society. Because you are what's standing in his way. If he takes you out of the way, he has your family. If he takes your church out of the way, he has your community. Amen? 
And so he is just waiting for that opportunity to pounce. So here it is in the Word of God. We say, well, how in the world do we do this? How is it that we stay awake? What's our spiritual coffee that's going to keep us awake? Amen? What's our spiritual energizing drink that's going to keep us awake? And so as we look at this, he says there in verse 8, he tells us, he says, but back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 8, he says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. So he repeats it again. So it's obviously something very important that he's trying to emphasize as he continues to repeat this in the Word of God. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So when we look at this, he's saying, man, he's talking about the armor of God, right? He's talking about the armor of God that is found in in Ephesians chapter 6. And so as he's talking about the armor of God, he doesn't list all of the armor of God, whereas the Apostle Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God. And he begins to list those things. And so here it is that the very first thing he lists is the breastplate. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's called the breastplate of righteousness. But here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, what is he calling it? The breastplate of faith and love. And so it's the breastplate of faith and love. And so when he's talking about this breastplate and, and, and mentioning this breastplate, telling us to put on this breastplate, it's for the purpose of keeping us awake it's for the purpose of keeping us sober to where we can be aware of our surrounding circumstances and the spiritual things that are going on around us this breastplate of faith and love is the exact same breastplate of righteousness and so as we put on righteousness what are we doing we're putting on Jesus Christ because he alone is righteous and so as Jesus himself told us in the beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness friend we need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness within our lives amen every single day desiring that hungering for that I remember I was on a diet one time uh, uh, Sandy uh, was joking with me about my diet earlier and so uh, I'm currently not on a diet but I need to be on a diet so I get on this diet so I'm I'm, uh, on this diet I start reading this book and so as I start reading this book, this book starts talking about scones. And I love scones. And it not only talked about the scones, but it graphically described the scones. And I'm reading, and all of a sudden I could taste a scone. And I could smell a scone, and I could even feel what a scone feels like in my mouth, and all of a sudden I am hungering for a scone. And yes, I did break my diet. You know, when we begin to think about that, the type of hunger and thirst we need to have for Jesus. Amen? The type of hunger and thirst that we have for Him, and when we have a hunger and thirst for Jesus, you know what that's going to do? That's going to produce within us faith and love. Now, first of all, something that we understand that is very clear that Romans 10, 17, we find very clearly in the word of God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we increase in our faith when we hear the word of Christ. We increase in our faith when we hear the word of God. Now in Romans chapter 10, what he's specifically talking about right there is the gospel, right? And he's specifically talking about how are people going to believe unless they hear the gospel? How are people going to believe unless a preacher is sent out to preach the gospel? By the way, every single one of us are called to preach the gospel. So then we begin to talk about love. And so if we have the faith of Jesus Christ within us. I have become a child of God. I've come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That is going to, uh, I have the faith in Christ, then that is going to produce the love of Christ within me, and I believe it's going to produce the love of Christ for lost people. Even those low down dirty lost people. You know why? Because I used to be one of those low down dirty lost people. And whereas in the flesh, I just walk over them, step over them, see them laying down in the gutter, walk on the other side of the road, pretend like they're not there. But now, God has placed a supernatural love within me that is not of me because in the flesh it would not be there. I can promise you that, but God has produced it to where now I have a love of even the lowest of the low that I want to see them saved. Why? Because God wants to see them saved. Amen? So that love is going to produce a heart of evangelism. Listen, if you don't have a heart to see people saved and lost people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you are asleep at the wheel. You need revival within your life. You need repentance within your life. So many folks sitting in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they're not concerned that their co-workers go into hell. They're not concerned that their classmates going to hell. They're not concerned that their next-door neighbor is going to hell. Sometimes we're not even concerned that our own family members are going to hell. And you, my friend, are asleep at the wheel and you're not walking in sobriety. You're not alert at the uh, situation around you. You may not even know whether they're going to hell or not. Because you've never taken the opportunity to share the gospel. You have never taken the opportunity to share the gospel. And not only that, if we have love, we have love towards the brothers and sisters in Christ as well. He ends this text of Scripture in verse 11 down there, and he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. You have a true faith in Jesus. You have a true love that Jesus is producing within your heart. You're going to have a love for the church. You're going to have a love for the brethren. And you're going to have a desire to encourage them and build them up. Amen? That is the very breastplate of righteousness. That is the fruit. That is the produce of the, the product, rather, of that breastplate of righteousness. But he also talks about that helmet. And here he calls it the helmet, the hope of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6 just simply called the helmet of salvation. It's one and the same, but here it is, the hope 
of salvation. He's talking about the hope of the return of Christ, that blessed hope that we have where everything comes together and everything's a done deal and we're called up to the glories with, with Jesus and there we shall be with the Lord forever. That is the hope of our salvation hasn't come to fulfillment. We're already saved, but all of that hasn't come to fulfillment just as yet. But as we look at that, that is our hope, but we truly are saved. We're saved today. You're saved the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Amen? So we're to put on the helmet of salvation or the helmet of the hope of salvation. What is the purpose of putting on that helmet of salvation or that helmet of the hope of salvation? What is the helmet's purpose? What is, what is it intended for? What was it designed for? It's to protect the mind or protect the head. To protect the head. And here it is, the helmet of salvation is protecting the mind. You know, the mind is really where the battle is. Where the battle is. Where Satan tries to produce those lies in you. It's where the world tries to influence you and manipulate you. Starts right here with the mind. Even the gospel starts with the mind. You've got to hear it. It has to sink into the mind. For some of us, it has to bounce around a lot before it finally sinks down to the heart. Amen? What happened with me? Why, the Word of God says in Romans 12, 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. It means pressed into the mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Only the gospel can do that. The gospel through the transforming work, the power of the word of God, can renew your mind. We put on the helmet of salvation to keep us, keep our mind protected. It's an act of God, it's a work of God. We're talking about staying awake, we talk about staying alert. 1 Peter chapter 1, by the way, it's what we're going through in Sunday school right now. I encourage you to come be a part of that. 1 Peter chapter is what the adults are going through in Sunday school. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse uh, 13 tells us this. I'm looking in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 and can't find it, but now I'm in chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Thought somebody moved it on me. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at what the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. Friends, we've got work to do. Prepare your mind for action. If you don't have the helmet of salvation on, you could care less about the action. You could care less about the work. Keep sober in spirit. If you're not sober in spirit, you're distracted. Not worried about the work that's to be done. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus is coming. Amen? We know that. We know he's coming. Jesus told a parable in Mark chapter 13, and in that parable, said the master of the house left. I'm just kind of paraphrasing it here. The master of the house left, and when the master of the house left, he left the house charged to all of his servants. And they didn't know what day or hour that the master of that house was coming back, so they had to keep on guard. They had to keep that house kept. They had to keep that house in order. They had to keep that house exactly the way that, Jesus, that the master of that house wanted them to keep that house. Because though they didn't know the day or the hour that he was coming back, they knew he was coming back, and they knew that if he came back and they weren't keeping house the way that they were required to keep house, there were consequences to be paid. Friends, we're going to be judged according to our works, not judged according to heaven or hell, because that was determined the moment you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. That's not going to be removed from you. That's not going to be taken from you. But you will be judged according to your works, every single one of you, every single child of God. Some of it's going to be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. Some of it is going to be purified like the gold and the silver. And ultimately, every reward is going to be laid down at the feet of Jesus. But oh, what a reward it is to know that God has used you as a tool, as a vessel. To be used as that tool or that vessel that has an eternal impact upon somebody's life. He already said what's going to come upon them is destruction. In that day of the Lord. Oh, they're just going to get what's coming to them. You're asleep at the wheel, friend. You're not living spiritually sober. Yes, they will get what's coming to them. You and I deserve it as well. And the Bible says to keep our eyes focused on grace. And it's by grace that I've been saved, and it's only by grace that they're going to be saved. And God loves them. We need to love them too. We need to share the gospel with every single lost person on the face of this earth. Amen? My responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's the responsibility of every single person that's been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and has received his grace. You know what? We're outnumbered. As the praise team makes their way up, we're outnumbered, friends. There's a whole lot more lost people than there are saved people. Even Jesus said that only a few is going to enter into the narrow gate. Where many 
are going to enter into that wide gate. There's a whole lot more of them than there are of us. Which tells me that the mission field is wide open. You know lost people. You're around them every single day. You probably know more lost people than I know. As a pastor, I'm mostly around Christians. Amen? It's the work of being a pastor. It's a joyful thing. Now I need to make it my purpose to be around lost people so I can share the gospel with lost people. You work with them. You go to school with them. You're friends with them. You're probably related to them. No doubt you are. I am. These cards that we're putting into these crosses and we're writing the names of lost people in them and we're putting them in there and we're praying for them is a step and it's a very powerful step and we need to take that step very, very seriously but we need to take it a step further than that and we ourselves need to share the gospel with them. What if they don't live till November the 13th? What if they just can't be here? We have an awesome job, an awesome responsibility. Now as everybody stands this morning, maybe God's put in your heart a lost person. Would you pray for them this morning? Put them before the Lord right here, right now, this morning. Maybe write their name down and put it in that cross so that we can all pray for them. Would you also pray for yourself that God would give you the boldness to step out and share the gospel with them before it's everlasting too late? Maybe you've been asleep at the wheel. Would you ask God today to wake you up, to make you sober, and put you right on that right track, back on that right track again? This morning, would you come as God so leads? Any other decision, anything else in your heart, you come as God leads.